always, I would just try to like write through it until I figured it out. And now I've gotten a better foothold on, on what to do and when. Welcome to Unleashing Your Great Work, a podcast about doing the work that matters the most to you. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Kroll, a cognitive psychologist, coach, author of the book, Great Work, and the creator of the Great Work Journals. Every week on this podcast, we're here asking the big questions. What is your great work? How do you find it? And why does it matter whether we do it? What does it actually take to do more of your great work without sacrificing everything else? And how does the world change when more people are doing more of the work that matters the most to them? Stay tuned for answers to these questions and so much more. Welcome, everybody, to Unleashing Your Great Work. I'm super psyched today uh, because I have J.A. White or Jerry White, who is an author who writes creepy books for kids. The four novels of the Thickety series, which I have read, have received numerous starred reviews and other accolades that made him feel shiny inside including a Children's Choice Award for Best Debut Novelist. His novel Nightbooks was translated into 11 languages and was made into a creepy Netflix movie for kids produced by Sam Raimi and the first novel of the Shadow School series, Archimancy. Did I say that right? You did. You nailed it. Okay. (laughs) And the first novel of his Shadow School series, Archimancy, was recently nominated for the Sunshine State Young Reader Award. He is also a fifth grade teacher. Welcome to the podcast, Jerry. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. I yeah. was just teaching about an hour ago. So, uh, <laughs> so you've been talking all day. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked your bio. Particularly, I liked the part where you said that your work makes you feel shiny inside. And I, I was like, that might be the best litmus test for great work I've ever heard. Right. If you're not feeling shiny inside, are you really doing great work? Well, now I should, you know, say that I feel shiny inside after the work is completed (laughs) and it's out there in the world. I feel very rusty and corroded and falling apart while I'm Mm -hmm. actually creating it. So it's two very different sensations. Yes. Right. And great work probably requires both of them. Uh, Oh, absolutely. And a part of the shininess comes from the the suffering that goes into it. That's right. Right. Because you can't overcome and get to the hop top of the mountain if there was not a lot of obstacles in your way in the first no, place. And, and I, I think, you know, it'd be very interesting as you go forward, you know, with your podcast and talk to all these interesting people. I don't imagine there's anyone who's come to a great work with, and it, it just went like smoothly. No, no problems. <laughs> Those are not the stories that I hear. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, like who could relate to that anyways? People who, oh, yeah. uh, not that I'm not even sure they exist, but the story is really boring when it's like, I decided to write a book. And then three weeks later, I wrote it. And then it was a New York Times bestseller. Yes, I hate those people. Um, right. with the fiery, fiery <laughs> passion, because that's that's not how I roll at all. Well, tell <laughs> us how you do roll. Tell us a little bit about your great work. Sure. Uh, so I, I figure I'll talk about Nightbooks, mm. um, since that has enjoyed the, the most success. Mm-hmm. And so Nightbooks, I had just written four books of the Thickety. So I had mm. about 2000 pages that I'd written of this, this fantasy world. So my very first thought was, I want to do something much smaller. Mm. Um, I think, you know, as an author, probably in really any field, you always want to challenge yourself to do something a little different mm-hmm. the next project. So I said, 
you know, I wanted something much smaller, much more contained, very, very few characters. So that was what I had going in. Mm. and I also grew up you know I love short stories Mm. and that's and you know short stories are a little bit tricky to get published because there's not a lot of places Mm. where you could you can work with it but I grew up reading a Ray Bradbury and you know it was Mm. was my big hero growing up and so I wanted to come up with a a way to do short stories in a very contained um, you know environment so I ended up having just basically three people in an apartment which Mm. in the long run ended up really helping me and I'm kind of rambling here but this is my style um no you're not I'm following you completely oh sure uh when the when the um you know pandemic happened I think a lot of the reason that the film was actually made was it hopped to the top of the list because it was so easy to film ah. with just three people in the apartment so they built everything yeah um, so it was actually one of the first movies to be filmed during the pandemic. really yeah yeah and so they, how did um, that happen tell us the story of that because that that's the only time that's happened for you, right? That your one of your books has been um, turned into a yeah, movie. You know, um, th- there was some talk with the thickety, um, mm. but it never it never happened. Which, from what I hear, is very very normal. Like there's mm. always a, there can be a lot of talk, but for it to actually happen is rare. Um, you know, I just basically I got a a starred review for Night Books in School Library Journal, and a, mm. a producer for Ghost House uh, saw it. And, you know, uh, that caused him to read the book and then they were interested. And, you know, there were a few studios that were that were interested in it. Uh, mm. But, you know, um, Ghost House really appealed to me because I liked the movies they've made, but also Sam Raimi owns it. Mm. It was sort of like my childhood hero, you know, seen right. Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 like a thousand times. And okay. <laughs> I just saw Doctor Strange to like uh, ago, I haven't so. seen it yet. No spoilers. Oh, no, it's great. It's great. I'm so excited. Uh, and it just to have him actually have read my book and said uh-huh. he liked it was huge. Yeah. Uh, so immediately that's, that's where I wanted to go. And it was with Netflix. And mm-hmm. so, you know, for a while it was sort of, you know, are they going to make it? Are they not going to make it? Cause it was optioned and everything looked good, mm-hmm. but that is usually the point where things kind of fall apart a mm-hmm. lot, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but no, you know, that they, they made it. Uh, and like I said, I, I think because it was relatively easy to film in those conditions, mm-hmm. uh, that that's sort of what happened. And I had a bunch of really amazingly talented people working on it. Uh, so I, I, I lucked out like my, my whole book to film journey was, was pretty great actually. That's that is great. And what was it? Did you write the script for it or did somebody no, write the script? No, no, no. Uh, I uh, honestly didn't have much to do with the actual making of the movie mm. uh, outside of like just a few conversations and um, offering my like rah-rah support and they, they mm. kind of kept me in a loop with things. But, uh, you know, I, if under different circumstances, I would have been able to go on set and visit and everything. Mm. But and you weren't able to. Set, so that wasn't mm. going to pan out. Um, yeah kind of stinks but um uh yeah no I um I didn't have much to do with the the transition at all yeah wow and how did you feel about it were you were you like disappointed that you didn't get to write the script and all that would it feel like your baby was going out into the world and you couldn't you know you know honestly um after those initial conversations I had a lot of confidence and I, Mm -hmm. I also think that you know I believe in letting people who are good at what they do yeah. do their thing mm-hmm. and you know in my perspective I wrote the book and the book was done and now uh-huh. they were doing an adaptation which is a different thing yeah I'm not going to claim to know more about screenwriting than professional screenwriters that's, yeah that's silly uh, and they did a great job um mm-hmm. so I just kind of 
you know, I, of course I had my fingers crossed that mm-hmm. it would be good, but um, it was, uh, so that was, that was mm-hmm. a relief <laughs> and, you know, I was, I was really happy with it. Uh, just uh, especially everything from like the acting, but also the set design in particular yeah. is really weird because it was kind of like what was in my head. Really? Um, the apartment, I mean, they, they really, they nailed that to an absurd degree. Wow. Um, that had to be an amazing feeling to see. It was. You know, when own... you were starting to send me photos of of the set, I'm like, "Whoa, that's that's <laughs> so cool!" And everything was was built from scratch uh, because wow. it was just in this. It's funny. It's this warehouse in Toronto that they filmed. And you know, since I'm not involved, I'm like, I'm gonna Google and see what this place looks like. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it was actually just across the street from a Home Depot. <laughs> And it looks like any random warehouse. Wow. Whoa, they were making my movie in there. Uh That was was really awesome. Yeah. And what a feeling to know that they're making your movies anywhere. (laughs) Well, yeah, of course. And, you know, uh, and the the way that I describe it to people who ask, and it's still, it still feels this way. It's just surreal. Mm. Uh, The idea, I mean, there was a, there was a billboard Times Square, like that. (gasps) Was there really? There was. So, so they had, um, yeah, right in, right in the center, um, they had like this digital billboard. And so all like Netflix's upcoming releases. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, every like, you know, five minutes or so there we go. <laughs> uh, so it was very exciting. We took a special trip into the city and took a photo. Good, so, good, good, good. Oh, um, but yeah, very, very, very surreal. And I'm, I'm kind of just honored and flattered that it happened. And it took a lot of hard work and luck. And everything, all the dominoes fall into exactly the right place. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So let's talk about some of the dominoes that came before. Oh, those, um, yeah. yeah. Oh, all that. Um, let's just talk about the thickety for a minute because that is sure. a lot of words. The many books, they were thick, if I recall. Yeah. Um, I always read them on the Kindle because I, I can't carry books around. I'm always losing them. So I've become a Kindle devotee, but Abby, my daughter had the first one that she bought at, well, I don't know, maybe she got it when you were doing a reading at the school or something. She brought it home and then she got scared and she wouldn't read it. So I read it. So that one I read, and then I read the rest of them in a fevered frenzy (laughs) (laughs) happened on the Kindle. So tell me what it was like for you, was that your first book? Were those your first book you had ever written, The Thickety? So, I mean, if you want me to go way back, I can tell yeah, you. Yeah, I want to go in the way back machine. Tell me. You everything. got it. I'll tell you my sad first novel stories. Yeah. Tell so me. We my... all need to know that it's possible to have a Netflix adaptation of your book, even if you had a failed first novel. So tell Oh my us. gosh, failed first two novels. I'll do you. All right, let's hear it. <laughs> so my very first novel uh, I wrote, I forget, it was a long time ago. It's in my 20s, so it's like ancient. Uh, you know, 22, <laughs> 23. And mm-hmm. it was a young adult novel that I wrote. <laughs> I, feel, I feel so stupid telling this now. Mm-hmm. I wrote it and I saved it on a floppy disk. Okay. Got erased. No. Yeah, the whole thing. Like I was about seventy percent done, and so this is where I came up with one of my main themes in in my writing career, which is there's no such thing as wasted writing, Mm. Uh, and you always kind of learn from it. And I know that novel was not good enough to get published, Mm. so it was one of those things that you just kind of have to do it, yeah, and get out of your system. Um, But I, I, you know, at the time, of course, it was tragic. Yes. But looking back at it now, I'm probably like, you know, it's probably best there's no copy of that out there because I'd probably be somewhat embarrassed by it. <laughs> so the next thing I worked on was a book um, called The Queen's Nightmares. Mm. And it's about this, this boy who lives on this island in the middle 
of, uh, of nowhere. We don't know what's out there in the world. And you, you're going to hear that. Some of these aspects of this novel that I failed, I threw mm-hmm. into the thickety later. Mm-hmm. So no wasted writing. Like That's I right. And so there's all these like monsters out there in the world and they are all buried on this one island. And this is the boy who digs the graves. Oh, that so, is so creepy. Yeah, it was, it was really, really <laughs> fun about this boy who, um, you know, lives in the graveyard uh, until Neil Gaiman released the graveyard book. Yeah, uh, that I was year. just thinking about the graveyard book and I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> and, 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 then, and then it won a Newbery Awards. That was cool. Um, so yep, I, right, I cool. couldn't do anything with it. So I kind of put that one away. Okay. Then I took a little break for a while. And uh, my friend and I ended up, uh, we made all these like short films together. He mm. directed them. I wrote them and we won, we won um, like a, some prizes. Like we won an Amazon con- competition for $50,000 and nice. a few other things. And we kept putting the money back into equipment. Um, mm. And then we ended up making uh, book trailers. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, so we, we um and we won a contest for a Dean Koontz book, uh, and we ended up making webisodes for one of his. So we we had all these neat things going on, and then eventually I went back and I I worked on a thickety, which was then called Path. It wasn't called a thickety until later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of used my connections, and uh-huh. I got it to an editor who of a of an editor who I'd worked with on a book, and they passed it along. Uh, so it took about seven months. And I'm, I'm not making this up, but I did get the call uh, from an editor at HarperCollins when I was at Disney World. No, yes. <laughs> the happiest place on earth. Yeah, it's the happiest place on earth. And I was <laughs> on the line um, at It's a Small World. And, okay. you know, was... So you were there for a while? Yes, oh, yes, quite a while. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so, yeah, so fine. my first full-fledged conversation about my writing career was, it was in a hotel lobby at Disney World uh, later that day. Wow. I'm talking about the book. And the first question was, is this middle grade or is it young adult? Because uh-huh. as you know, my books are a little darkish. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And um, <laughs> a little. The, the, the character Kara was 13 at the time. And they're like, well, 13, you can be mm. 12 or you can be 14. But right. And, um, and so because most of my books deal with more family relationships and uh, um, sort of like romantic relationships, uh, I decided mm. to go with middle grade. Okay. Plus, and that's the age I teach. That's the age I know yeah. a little bit better. So yeah. I went there. So yeah. So then I, I wrote the 300,000 words of the thickety. <laughs> I was in that world for a long, long time. Yeah. Which I think finally brings us back to where I started babbling um, a long time ago about night books. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, so I wanted to write something different and I wanted to write something with, with short stories. And I always love, um, you know, the Arabian Nights and I'd always love Hansel and Gretel. So a lot of my writing is I like this. I like this. I like this. Mm-hmm, Let me mm-hmm. put them all together in a yeah. kind of different way uh-huh. and play around with it and see what happens. Um, the other thing that is about my writing is I don't outline and I don't know what's going to happen. You're a pantser. I'm a pantser. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. I wasn't familiar with that term uh, until until relatively recently, until uh, somebody said, oh, you're a pantser. Just like that. I'm like, I'm a what? <laughs> <laughs> I now you like you wear it proudly. Pants. I'm gonna get you a T-shirt that says <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've I try to do outlines mm. every time, and I mm. don't know why because I never mm. use them as a mm. waste of time. Mm-hmm. But I, and yet I persist. Like, yeah. This time it's gonna be different. It, what it, is it about the outline that doesn't work for you? I think because I learn about the story as I write it. I learn mm-hmm. the characters. It's like um, talking about somebody you haven't met yet. 
Yeah. And and so I, I truly don't know. Now, sometimes I may have little signposts that I want to get to, or, or mm. I'm like, I want to write this scene and it's just to connect A to B. Um, mm. For example, um, I won't spoil it, but the mm-hmm. first end of the first book of the thicket, he has this massive plot twist mm-hmm. that I, I didn't know was going to happen. Um, really? But yeah. Uh, but the, the interesting thing is one, I always trust if the characters or something in me is intrinsically trying to point in one direction, mm-hmm. I always do it. Like mm-hmm. if, if there's a reason. And because I think that that's just me as a reader going, oh, this would be really interesting if this happened. So I do. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I found more than once is when I go back in a story and I'm like, all right, now I'm going to fix all these things. So it fits. Mm-hmm. I already did it. It already fit. It already fit. And it always stuns me. So there is part of me inside that's a much more organized writer <laughs> than, than I am in reality. Um, cause it always, every time it's that there. is so fascinating. It's have you, weird. um, have you read Elizabeth Gilbert's book, uh, big magic? No. Okay. So I'm just, I'm going to blow your mind and you'll be like, who is this woman that I'm talking to? But there's something so compelling about it. And I feel like you just expressed an exact like support of it, which is that the book actually exists and you are like the, the fossil excavator Mm -hmm. with your little, right. So it's not that you were organized, it's that you're a faithful revealer of a coherent story that the universe or whatever, God, whoever like has placed in the world and has entrusted you with the uncovering of. That's um, I love that. And I I've always believed that I don't come up with good ideas or I'm not good at coming up with good ideas, but I'm good at recognizing what is good or bad. Uh, So, I mean, I have a ton of ideas and most of them are just terrible, Uh, but (laughs) I know that faculty because I've read so much because I love stories to be able to distinguish. Yeah, that's a good path or that's a bad path. Uh But I love the idea that the story already exists. I'm just very good at finding it. Yeah, I love that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, you've got to check out the great work community. The Great Work Community is where change-making entrepreneurs make drama-free progress together. Come on over for a co-working, accountability, coaching, and just-in-time courses. Check out The Great Work Community. The link is in the show notes. So interesting. So what is it, like, can you tell, I don't know if you can do this, it's kind of a hard question, but can you think about that moment where, for example, you were like just merrily walking down the path, headed towards the end of the thickety, which you knew was coming, and like, what does it feel like when you're being redirected? And like, what was it like for you to be surprised by your own book? Oh my gosh. Um, so it's always kind of a combination of delight. Because yeah. it's fun when, you know, things don't work out uh, the way you, you expect them to, but also terror at the <laughs> amount of work <laughs> that I know <laughs> yeah. is coming. And the terror has decreased slightly because now, after so many books, I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. eventually I'm going to work it out. Uh-huh. And, and it, you have a little more faith. A little bit more faith. Um, what I don't have is a concept of how long it's going to take. So a lot of mm. times my wife um, asks, you know, so when do we get you back again? Full time? <laughs> you know, when I'm writing a book and I said, I, I wish I had an answer for you. Yeah. But it's not like I can say I'm going to write three pages and three pages and three. Pa- I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's sort of the downside of my pants or lifestyle. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, when you, whenever you get near the end of a book, I feel, so for me, at least the first drafts are 
always by far the worst part. Okay. Like uh-huh. I can't wait for them to be over. Why? And what is it like? Tell us what it's like. So it's like just not knowing, not n- it's <laughs> see exactly. I can't even explain it. That's how baffling it is. It's the idea of not having a real firm grip on the story or what's going to happen. So it's just just almost being lost uh-huh. and trying to find your way through it. Yeah. And then once I have that down, yes, I'll probably change a ton, but it's okay. I have my map. I know in general yeah. what's happening. I've met the people. I know yeah. them. And so revision for me is just pure fun. Uh, really? Another, yeah. Another way I've, I've sometimes used the analogy of a sculptor where you're, um, you know, you do the very general rough shape, but then once you put in all the details in there, then that part's fun. Uh huh. I'm, no, I'm no expert sculptor, but I would imagine right. that would be like very gratifying. And yeah. So that's, but but the actual generating of the story, because I know so little going in, um, I, and and at any point I may go, oh, that didn't work. I have to throw these fifty pages out, and mm, so right. I don't know if everything I write is actually going to remain in there. So right. Which probably is one of those things that's very excruciating the first few times it happens. And then by the time you're on your fifth book or whatever, you're like, okay, fine. I understand what's happening. I can let this go. That's so interesting. The other uh, really interesting writing slash sculpting analogy that I've heard (laughs) um, is that I really like, and I wonder your perspective on it is that, um, I don't know, whoever sculpted Michelangelo, help me, who's that? Oh, Michelangelo is the is the sculptor David, David. and David is the, mm-hmm. is the statue. Okay. Now, now I can continue with my analogy. <laughs> so somebody somewhere says that they asked Michelangelo, how did you sculpt David? And he said, I got this block of marble and I removed everything that wasn't David. Oh, whoa. My right. Right. It's like, whoa. Well, that, that's, yeah, that's definitely an analogy that works for writing as well, because a lot of, um, you know, writing is just figuring out what you, what should you not tell, mm-hmm. uh, especially with the type of books that I write, which are a lot of, I mean, I think of them as almost mystery novels because it's mm-hmm. usually characters that don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And with those types of plots, it's how do you give information at just the right amount mm-hmm. where everyone knows what's going on, but you're dangling things that mm-hmm. they want to know. Um, so a lot of it is, oh, I don't want to include that. And I don't want to include that. And ah. that would be too much. And so st- usually when I revise, I the book gets shorter, not longer. Yeah. Yeah. Things out. So that's, that's very interesting. Yeah. I like that. So you've mentioned a little bit about, I mean, what must inevitably be part of the struggle of this, which is it takes you away from your family, it probably mm-hmm. takes your brain away from your family, even more than it takes your body away from them. So you're like in your own head thinking things through. Like oh, they, they, like always, they always know. They call me out on it too. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, but tell us, like, what's the hard part of this? Because great work is is always a, a, a struggle of love. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it's not ever not going to have the struggle. So what are the what are the hardest parts of writing these books for you? The hardest parts. Okay, so I talked about first drafts for yeah, sure. Yeah, right. That's excruciating. Yeah, the, the first drafts are <laughs> And baffling. <laughs> Yeah, and and also I would say that because I'm a full-time uh, teacher and writer, the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and then I know, um, you know, I'm I'm pretty good about going to all like the the important things, but just certain, you know, like 
not being able to play board games on a weekend because I'm working. Yeah. So usually my weekends are all full of work and things like that. And knowing that it pulls me away from my family, I would say mm. mm-hmm. is, is really, really hard. Um, there's a lot of solitude yeah. to, it, to write in. I'm by myself a lot, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of pondering and things like that. And then for me, uh, you know, the, the classic self-doubt, mm-hmm. you know, is this working out? Uh, is it not working out? Um, you know, I usually just kind of write through that until Mm. I I know for sure if it's working out or not. So Mm. all those, all those, those fun things, loneliness and self-doubt. Yay. Children. Yay. Let's be a children's (laughs) author. Uh, It's like a commercial. So let's, let's go into that moment of self-doubt. You're writing it and maybe you haven't yet realized that you have to take those 50 pages out or like you're in the thick of it. Maybe you have, or you haven't realized that actually is the best 50 pages of the book. Right. So what slow that way down and just talk to us about like, what is it like for you to experience that? How do you write through it? Like what, how, what do you say to yourself? How do you like, what else do you do in your life to make it possible to stay in it when it feels like that? What's that like for you? So yeah, there's a few things. Now, sometimes it's just necessary to take a break. Yeah. And I found that even if I I know I'm, I'm writing on a deadline or something like that, there are there are times when it's very much a craft that you, you do need to sit down for a few hours and work on it, you know whether you're feeling amused or not. Mm-hmm. And there are other times where working on it is actually um, self-defeating. Mm. And I'm just going to sit there and, and run around in circles. And so I've, I've gotten pretty good at sensing mm. when I'm wasting my time. Yeah. And when I am wasting my time, it usually means my batteries need to be recharged. And that sometimes means playing a board game with my family or going for lots and lots of long walks. <laughs> I'm a, a big believer in um, walks as a gen- helping to generate ideas and things like that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll retrace my steps and mm. look at what I've written. Sometimes mm. I'll skip ahead and mm. I'm like, okay, I know this is going to happen. So I have those little, little techniques in mind. Um, but, you know, sometimes you just have to write through it too. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's all a matter of just kind of, practice and knowing when you have to do what or sometimes I'll try something I'm like I'm trying to write through it it's not working Mm. Um, but that's all experience you know my first novel my first few novels I wasn't nearly as good and Mm. always I would just try to like write through it until I figured it out and now I've gotten a better foothold on on what to do and when yeah right so there's something to be said I mean there's a lot to be said for um, obviously there's a lot to be said for experience but I feel like we don't talk enough in the world of personal development, which is more sort of where I live about how we have to have really great self-expertise because mm-hmm. what other people tell you to do, like, you know, there's the, there's the group of people who say, sit down and write, no matter what, write through it. Like, don't let the page run your life. And then there's the group of people who are like, you know, they do wait for the muse. And then they sit down. Like, I think Stephen King sort of calls himself out as that sort of person, right? He's like, we'll write feverishly for four months and then like not do anything for four months. Yeah. Whatever. No one can base themselves on Stephen King. Uh, right. He's just like a different. <laughs> Those are wise words. Those are wise yeah. words. Yeah. So anyway, thinking about Stephen King and you mentioned Ray Bradbury and Neil Gaiman, um, are those the people that you've drawn the most inspiration from, or are there other um, writers that you feel like have really informed your writing style? Oh, um, well, de- yeah, definitely Stephen King growing sure. up. Sure. Uh, I think I think almost anyone who writes genre fiction who is my age has been influenced by Stephen King. It's just yeah. inescapable. Um, you know, who else did I read growing up? Uh, there's nothing named Robert McCammon that I read a lot mm. of. Uh, he's interested in Ray Bradbury, of course. Um, a lot of mystery novels, uh, you know, 
really my favorite novels that I'm reading right now are, are British mystery novels. So like my son and I are sharing Agatha Christie novels. Right? Okay. And Elizabeth I George, do. who I love, uh-huh. and Ruth Randall, and um, uh, an Irish writer named John Connolly, who does uh-huh. great Charlie Parker series. So I, you know, everyone asks what my favorite genre is and expects it to be either horror or fantasy, but it is actually mystery. That tends yeah. to be the genre I gravitate the most towards. Um, well, I think that's of- why your books are so interesting to read because they're not traditionally only, there is this mysterious aspect to it. You do a great job of sort of, oh, like you. you said, like dangling and you're like, but, but I have to go to bed, but I actually now need to read the whole second book instead of go to bed. Yeah, I think, I, you know, comes from writers mystery. probably naturally write the type of book they want to read. Mm-hmm. And so that's, and, and my thing going into children's books were, uh, you know, I started reading Stephen King probably in like fourth grade, which was not Wow, no, Alex, um, <laughs> Alex, my would, dad had him. You'd never you sleep know. again. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, we, um, we had this bar in my basement. We grew up in Staten Island. Um, so there was a bar in our basement, but they didn't have any alcohol. It just had like mass market paperbacks uh, underneath <laughs> that my dad would read. So I used to like sneak behind there and, and read. <laughs> So your rebellion was sneaking away to read mass market. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was, I was pretty wild. Um, Yeah. Sounds like it. So, but but a lot of that, the reason I hopped into adult novels early on is because I liked all these dark stories, but children's books were kind of like not dark enough for me. So I kind of wanted to push, push it a little bit, you know, make them a little bit scary because kids can take it. They'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. (laughs) Or they won't tell you about it. Um, but so tell me, well, how have, how has the reception been for these creepy books for kids? Good. I, I mean, obviously people love them, but does anybody say, have you gotten any like Christian science monitor, like angry letters? Like, oh my gosh, that'd be awesome. Um, <laughs> no, no, I get, you know, my uh, typical share of like Goodreads or Amazon reviews, like there'll be some irate parents in there. Mostly, mostly I've been very lucky yeah. um, with reviews, but you know, and, and listen, if that's not, um, you know, if my books aren't the type of books that you want your kid to read, that's okay. There's like a billion other great books yeah. out there. So I, I don't ever hold it against anyone. I do, I do sometimes parents look at me a little oddly, you know, if they'll come up to me at an event and say, mm-hmm. you know, my child read your book and they were terrified and had to sleep in our bed for like a month. And I go, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's so cool that my book was that effective. Uh-huh. They look at me a little odd, but I thought it was a compliment. So, right. I love, I love that, that sort of description of you as a person who's like, knows exactly what he's doing. You, you can love it or not. Yeah. You're not like sort of jerked around by public opinion. And that probably makes you a better writer too, I would guess. Cause if you were always in the head of the critic, that would get you. Oh way. yeah. No, that that's not in my head at all. Um, I tend to, um, if anything, I'm writing for like a specific type of uh, you know, young reader, which is usually, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit quirky, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit smart and we're kind of like gonna, gonna get what I'm doing. So. Yeah. And those kids definitely need books that are written, mm-hmm. especially for them. So oh. as a parent, I thank you for that. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. I'll do, I'll keep on doing it as long as they let me keep publishing books. So that's a great segue. Tell us what's next for you. What, what book is coming? So uh, you're in the middle of another three-parter. Is that true? No. Oh, goodness gracious. No, <laughs> don't don't scare me unless I forgot. Uh, no, the, the next thing that's coming is a sequel uh, to Nightbooks called Gravebooks. Oh, and yeah. Uh, that so one, arithmancy is actually uh, like the. Or, that one's done. Yeah, that one's school? all done. 
Shadow School. Yeah. Shadow School. That's you know, the one Abby really loves. One thing I didn't understand before I got into publishing is how far in advance. Uh-huh. So I am working on a book that comes out in 2023. Uh-huh. Um, but the book that is coming out in August is Great Books, which is okay, book okay, night okay. books. And then Shadow School is all done. But Great Books has been done maybe for like eight months now. Wow. So okay. there's just a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Plus they build time in there in case, you know, I screw up and, you know, they need to round the wagons and, and get the book into shape. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, so that one's all done. Wow. Grave books. And that would be, how great would it be if that was also made into a Netflix? We'll just tell the universe, make it happen. Yeah, no, uh, fingers crossed. Um, we'll see. It doesn't, you know, there's no plans right now, uh, yeah, but makes sense. Know, we'll never see what happens. So, so um, I don't think I mentioned this at the very beginning, but you're actually a teacher at my children's school. That's how we got connected. I'm just that letting the, the listeners know this. And it was such a great, I was just happy having not read night books, apologies, but I was just very, very happy when we had that watch party for you, um, where all the kids in the school, well, all the kids who can handle it in the school, like mm-hmm. watched it on the same night. And I don't know if we're responsible for it, but you were actually in the top 10 or something of Netflix. Were you not? Yes. Uh, no, it did. It did really, really well. Uh, people responded to it in a really positive way, uh, which was, which was kind of neat. Um, I like the phrase, they called it gateway horror uh, for kids. I thought it was <laughs> and you're awesome. like, thank you so much. Exactly. Um, I mean, I'm really hoping that somebody, you know, who, who either becomes a horror author or a mm-hmm. horror director, you know, years and years from now, I was like, yeah, I remember when I was little, I watched this movie called night books. Oh, it really wow. scared me. I just love the idea of that yeah. um, because for like um, the evil dead, that, that kind of, I, I remember seeing that. Sam Raimi's movie when my older sister was having a sleepover and Mm -hmm. I kind of annoying little brother that I was Mm -hmm. you know snuck in and watched part of the movie and I was terrified but I loved it so oh wow that's so great so bringing those two parts of your life together the the teaching part Mm -hmm. and loving kids and um and you're a fifth grade teacher but you've also been the librarian at the school I've done I've taught every grade at that school have you (laughs) third fourth fifth sixth and I've been a librarian so I have done it all. Love it. And then writing these books. Tell us, um, like the question that's sort of coming through in this is like what you love about doing this. And it sounds like at least part of it is sort of inspiring these young people, but talk a little bit about that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's awesome to be able to work with young writers and, uh, you know, I have really good street cred, so they take me seriously. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, it's, it's really, it's really, um, you know, flattering how excited everyone got over the movie and everything. And I thought that was really neat. And then to come in the next day and they were all, you know, talking about it. And yeah, so that was really awesome. Um, but yeah, no, I, I've always, uh, you know, the two main things in my life have always been books and kits. Those are mm. my two, like, kind of like great loves, yeah. uh, you know, as will come as no surprise as anyone who's seen me teaching, I probably get along better with children and adults uh there's just something there that i I love kids they're they're really really fun Mm -hmm. um so to be able to to work with them on trying to foster creativity Mm -hmm. and and things like that is it really is a pleasure uh i wish there were more hours in a day that just seems to be the general problem right right yeah great well so grave books comes out in 
August, did you say? September? August, yeah. August 16th. August 16th. Mark your calendars. Get the pre-orders in because they make a huge difference. Um, and then the book that you're working on now is... So you're so writing the, something also. Yeah. So the book I'm working on now, I remember how I told you sometimes that first draft is a little hard for me. Yeah. Oh, you're in the middle yeah. of that right now. So yeah, we won't I'm in the middle of it. it. No, but so it was interesting though, because the point I'm at now is I've written, I've written a lot that I probably won't use. I won't, oh, wow. it's somewhere between 300 to 400 pages that I won't <laughs> use. Um, oh, that you won't use. <laughs> that I won't use. The not I, David part is three or 400 pages. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I know I think I have the core concept that I want to yeah. use and it may have been the way I'm going to interpret it mm-hmm. to keep myself sane is <laughs> I had to write all those pages to get this one great idea that yep. I'm now going to riff on and make the actual novel. Love it. No wasted writing. Exactly. That is my motto and I'm going to stick to it. That's right. Especially right now in the middle of your first draft. <laughs> yeah, I have to right now. I don't have a choice. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your excruciating first draft creation process. Can you tell these listeners who right now I'm sure are already uh, Googling and Amazoning the Thickety and Nightbooks and all of these, how can they learn more about you? How can they follow you? Um, how can they book you if you speak? Like what, what do you want us to know? Uh, sure. If you go to my, um, my website, uh, which is jawhitebooks.com, mm-hmm. uh, um, there's a whole bunch of information there and, you know, you can, you can contact me if, um, if you'd like to set up an engagement, um, and other information. And then on Twitter, it's also okay. jawhitebooks. Um, I do tweet. I, uh, I am also on Instagram for just mm-hmm. about a week. I did TikTok really for just the amusement of my students. <laughs> I made silly little videos. And then I realized that I'm 48 and my <laughs> days are behind me. Uh, so I, I hate when I realize that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, sure. Twitter, Instagram, uh, it's all J.A. White books and I'm okay. pretty easy to find. Nice. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. This has been fascinating. I've loved every minute of it. And I thank know you you're so busy. Much. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Thanks for listening today to Unleashing Your Great Work. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And make sure you check out my book, Great Work, Do What Matters Most, without sacrificing everything else. It's available everywhere you get books. See you next time on Unleashing Your Great Work.